Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 316, Mars Audio Log number five. I'm Gary Jordan. I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight and more. We're back with another log from the Chapia crew. Chapia, or Crew Health and Performance Exploration Analog, is a year-long analog mission in a habitat right here on Earth that is simulating very closely what it would be like to live on Mars. We're lucky enough to have monthly check-ins with the crew. Commander Kelly Haston, Flight Engineer Ross Brockwell, Medical Officer Nathan Jones, and Science Officer Anka Salariu. To meet the needs of fitting in with this analog and simulating significant communications delays between Earth and Mars that prohibit us from having a live conversation, the crew is recording an audio log based on questions that we draft for them. On this episode, we'll play the recording of their fifth month in the habitat, which is right here at the NASA Johnson Space Center and was recorded in November 2023. We'll also be bringing on a special guest to learn even more about Chapia. This month is on behavioral health and performance. Of course, a year on Mars is a long time, particularly in a confined space. So researchers are looking into understanding how the Mars team performs over that length of time. Our special guest on this episode, Dr. Suzanne Bell, is looking into these team dynamics of a Mars crew and the behavioral health and performance. And we've had her on the podcast before on an episode titled The Science of Teams. So I think we have the right person for this conversation. Very excited for this month's audio log because, for the first time, all four crew members recorded their audio log together. So with that, let's learn from the Chapia crew on how they're doing, and Suzanne Bell on the Chapia Behavioral Health and Performance. Let's get right into it. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Mission start. T-zero. Launch commit light circuit. There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Hi, I'm Kelly Haston, commander of Chapio one the one-year Mars analog mission out of Johnson Space Center with NASA. This is Ross Brockwell. I'm the flight engineer on Chapio one I am Anka Solariu. I am the science officer of Chapio Mission 1. My name is Nate Jones. I'm the medical officer. Would anyone like to talk about their special tasks from their position? So as the medical officer, I help the team to organize the collection of biological specimens that are required for the mission. I also uh, would step in if any emergency were to occur and to help to manage those medically. Also sometimes make recommendations on how we can help keep crew members safe. As flight engineer, I'm responsible for making sure that most of the habitat systems are operating nominally. As a science officer, I'm responsible for uh, coordinating science activities, including geology, specimen analysis, um, biological experiments using um, seeds germinating Martian soil, simulant, and um, other things such as drone and rover um, activities on the surface of Mars. And as commander, I help organize some of the crew's communication back and forth with the other people um, back on Earth that are helping us accomplish this mission. How is everything going for the crew? I think it's still going great. I hope I'm not alone in that opinion. 
as we've insisted on putting on the board early in the mission, probably the first day, everything is awesome. Yeah, I'd say we're doing very well. Still happy, still healthy. I have to agree. I'm actually surprised by how solid and uh, content the crew continues to be uh, deeper in, as we get deeper into the mission. Yeah, I think there have been things that uh, we plan to do that we probably haven't gotten to do and some things that we hadn't uh, expected that we've uh, found interest in. I think uh, I'd, uh, I've done a lot of uh, guitar playing and so that's been fun for me. I haven't had really much of any of a chance to uh, uh, teach Ross uh, to play. So Still plenty of time though. We've got time. Well, well, between uh, being Leonardo da Vinci 2.0 and uh, all the other talents that you had to display, who has time? Yeah, I guess that leads us into another topic, um, some of the highlights and activities of the past month. Um, for me, probably one of the best and hardest days, um, I had a 15-year anniversary with my uh, wife, and obviously that's difficult to... <laughs> to do whenever you're away from them, so far away. And so we had to get a bit creative. I had planned on uh, her getting a gift and that didn't work out. Uh, thankfully, I also had other plans. One was I uh, did a drawing, a uh, portrait, I guess you'd say, and I think it turned out pretty well. And then uh, speaking of the guitar, I uh, played and sang a song that I had written. So that was probably my highlight. <laughs> I would say it was a highlight for me to watch um, the, the drawing that Nate made evolve and move through his process. So it, as he shared it with us, that was actually really special to see him get ready for that day. Thank you. And I also had, we had two special days in October, which was we hit 100 days early in the month, and then we hit a third of the mission completed at the end of the month. And both of those days felt very satisfying, I think, and, and made us really proud. And we also got to experience the Kelly's work um, for Thanksgiving, for Canadian Thanksgiving, your needlework that got on display for a full three days, wasn't it? <laughs> it's true. The crew helped me celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving on uh, October 8th. Did uh, I think it was this last month I may have accidentally... Uh, murdered one of our um, uh, robots, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> we had a little technical failure. <laughs> it was slightly off nominal, yes. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> We've been assured that uh, it will be resolved. Uh, well, we're going to hope for Operation Phoenix. It <laughs> rise from its ashes. It was a funny moment anyway. <laughs> We've proven we can fix things, so we'll, we'll fix it. That is a really good one, though, because I was watching it from the galley where we have a TV that, that can display some of the activities that are going on in other parts of the HAB at times or even outside when we do EVAs. And when the, uh, the rover sort of 
went kaput. (laughs) (laughs) I could see it happening. And then I kind of heard Nate call out from the IV room. And that was actually really funny. It was the most traumatic death. (laughs) (laughs) My spontaneous decapitation. We we can rebuild it. (laughs) We've got plenty of duct tape. I would say, um, if I can commend the crew, that one of the things that is really has been really awesome is as we continue to um, do new things um, and learn and have always had to deal with a time de- a significant time delay. The crew is very innovative and uh, really fu- enjoys the challenge of of you know sort of coming up with troubleshooting solutions and in the time that we're waiting to hear from MCC if we do need to hear from them. And oftentimes we've actually sorted the issue out well in advance of hearing back from them, which can often take up to 40 minutes or longer um, with the back and forth communication. So I think that that's uh, something that I really think the crew has tightened up on even and was good at from the start, but is really incredible at now. Yeah, I think one of those things that um we anticipated, but uh, maybe has caught us off guard at moments where we didn't expect it, you know, were the communication issues and just um, with the way we communicate, the way things can be lost and misinterpreted, or, you know, we assume that mission control understands something we're trying to explain to them and they don't, or the other way around. And then you just build off of this unstable base, you know, and the whole thing is so easily... A house of cards that just collapses, you know. Thankfully, nothing catastrophic has happened, but you can see the benefit, you know, of a mission like this. Yeah, it's really important to actually be, to go prepared in um, anticipation of not having much communication. This is for, this is for me a lesson learned for the future crew for Mars, because very much like us, they're going to have the same issues with being able to reach reach back for support. They will basically not be able to do such, they won't have the luxury of having immediate support from, from mission control. They have to be independent. I'm reading here the, the question, are, are there any routine crew bonding experiences that have been consistent over five months? Five months? Are this is how long we've been here for? No, five it's months? Like three days, or foremost, <laughs> with no you guys. It must have been weeks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't feel that way. So weird. So really, five months. We've had some uh, interesting shows. We've had as uh, as a crew time. Some of them worked out. Some have been spectacular failures, um, but we've enjoyed. You know, uh, we're we're the best movie critics on Mars. I would say, <laughs> top four for sure. There's a lot of confidence in that statement. <laughs> best basketball team too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, We've also decorated the habitat a few times together, or in some cases alone, um, to, as a surprise for the others. So I think that that's really good. Uh, that's been really fun to have days or, or periods where we have decorations up. Um, and for Halloween, I dressed up to surprise our incoming EVA team um, and held them at uh, 
I guess blaster blaster or <laughs> cord, cordless <laughs> vacuum <laughs> point <laughs> until they coughed up the camera that I needed. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. But at least I'm very grateful that I don't have to ever make a living out of uh, decorating for Halloween. We have a Texas Hold'em game that won't seem to end. It's Someday there will be a planetary poker champion. He'll <laughs> be a world champion for Mars. We're hoping that by the end of the mission, the poker game will be done. <laughs> Although every time you go all in. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I thought I was going to lose. And I put all the chips in it. Came out bad. We started a book club, right? I don't know if we've had our first meeting, but the club is official. <laughs> the club is we official. Kind of have continuous first. meetings about books, I think. Yeah, quite a, quite a lot of unscheduled yes. meetings. There's been a lot of reading as well. <laughs> a lot, a lot of reading and, and other things as well. So. Anything special coming up in the next month? I am personally looking forward to starting um, crops of our own in addition to the crops that we have right now. Sweet, what the crops so far? Hmm? How have the crops been? Yummy. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Having that fresh stuff is fantastic. And having living creatures in the, in the hab is amazing. We keep being drawn. I mean, we are living creatures, too. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we are. <laughs> I mean, I'm counting. Yeah, I don't want that. Thanks, <laughs> You're welcome. Hopefully that isn't foreshadowing of any sort. <laughs> but now we have, we have other species as uh, well, is, is really what we're trying to say. <laughs> we have had a single plant die, I think, so far, right? If I right. So on top of all of the great uh, missions that we'll have or, or tasks and activities we'll have this month, I am actually looking forward to celebrating Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, as my family calls it, um, in, in the HAB with, with the crew. I think that's going to be really fun. So that will come up in the next month. Yeah, I've managed to uh, convince the crew to um, share some of my family's uh, traditions with like Halloween and uh, Thanksgiving is coming up, and so I've got uh, plans to watch all the Charlie Brown specials with them, and uh, hopefully they enjoy them as much as my family has. Um, and thanks to Nate, I finally saw an episode of Charlie Brown, which actually turned into two episodes, and now I can get references to The Great Pumpkin. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have a party for halfway, right? Yeah, I think halfway is going to be a really big deal. I mean, as an ultra runner, I think about it as, you know, the 50 mile point and it's on, it's all downhill after that. It's a slow downhill, <laughs> but it will be downhill. So that's going to be really cool to celebrate. I don't think we've developed any formal plans for it yet. Um, we just got past the one third mark not too long ago, and I don't think we had anything super a uh, big plan for that, but I think probably is for something as big as the halfway mark, we'll uh, probably have a little celebration of some sort. I think it is also December 31st, so we will be celebrating the change in the year as well at the same time, which is kind of cool. Without champagne. That's true. That's on, that's on 
the earth. We'll be toasting with the tomatoes from the garden. Yes. <laughs> I can't imagine that it won't go uh, without a good celebration now. Yeah, that's a question for me, huh? So, Chapia's reignited a passion to contribute to the process of getting us to Mars. Do I have any ideas of how else I might like to contribute afterwards? Um, yeah, I'd really hope that I would get a chance to. I mean, I would think maybe with this experience and some of what I know, I could help contribute to the structural and architectural design of spacecraft and habitats. Um, maybe my work in community infrastructure would be relevant someday for moon bases and Mars bases and outposts and things like that. So, you know, I would I would love to have a chance in my career, in my life to further contribute. I hope this is this is a good start. I'm really excited to see the face the first space colony designed by you. I think we've had some discussions at times, you know, about um, where this road is leading each of us, if this is um, all that was, you know, meant to be, or if, you know, there might be something else down the road, formally or informally, uh, for each of us. And, you know, it's part of the excitement of it, bit of anticipation there. I just can't imagine not being involved in some way in life on Mars at one point or another. I don't know what form that would take, but it's, it, it's been an obsession for so long that I don't think it can stop. I'm just glad you're thinking about life on Mars again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's both inspired thoughts of where you can fit into further um, opportunities in, in space exploration and, and safety and so forth, some somewhat like, like what this mission is trying to get at. But it also inspires me to think about how we're living right now and how that might be applicable to changes that we could make on Earth as well that might actually be really important um, in the coming years with challenges we're going to face um, in humanity here. So I feel like it's actually really brought that back up for me as well, along with, so I, I feel like, and I feel like the crew talks about those problems a lot. And so it kind of is always percolating in my head as we talk and as we think about our experience here and also what's outside or what's back on earth for us. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it definitely makes us think a lot, which we all kind of do anyway about, um, what's important, you know, not just for survival, but for the human spirit, you know, for thinking ecologically and on planetary scales. So this context helps us think a lot about that in relation to the Earth as well. Should we finish with a rousing Chapia chant? Or a team battle cry? Our team, the Our battle, team cry? <laughs> battle cry? <clears throat> Ready? On three. <laughs> One, two, three. Don't, Don't die! die. <laughs> On Mars. Best battle cry ever. All right, that was the uh, Chapia crew checking in for the month of November. Very great to hear from them. Awesome to hear that they're in such high spirits still. And I think part of it is a lot of what they described. You know, we were trying to ask about, you know, some of these things that of how of what they celebrated, what they did, what they're looking forward to. 
And I think a lot of it is these milestones that sort of help to keep them going, right? Nate celebrating his 15-year anniversary for and having that connection uh, back home. The crew together celebrating milestones like Canadian Thanksgiving and even 100 days or a third of the way through their mission. And then Nate even bringing part of his family's traditions back uh, to celebrate with the crew and getting everybody on board to celebrate together. I think, you know, these bonding experiences to hear from them of things that they've done and celebrated, milestones past and things to look forward to. Certainly wonderful to hear uh, these, these moments from the crew. Now, um, they mentioned a couple of things that they did through their experience, but one of them, I think thematically, one thing that really stuck out to me was the idea of problem solving through these different time delays where we traditionally have these back-and-forth conversations with crews up in space and then flight control teams down on the ground with International Space Station operations, in the time that it takes to actually send a problem or, or send something and wait for communications back, the crew is problem-solving along the way and coming up with solutions while they're waiting for perhaps some feedback to take them that step closer. And they talked about developing efficiencies along the way. Um, very good to hear that. And in fact, when we talked with Susan Suzanne Belk coming up here next, part of the thing that she's excited about, her and many of the research community is excited about, is the fact that built into the Chapia mission is this time delay with the ground team. So we're already seeing the benefits of that in the daily tasks, in the monthly tasks that we're hearing uh, from the crew. And just hearing about the crew bonding together and doing these these um, these activities together and spending time, a lot of time reading, we're also going to hear from Suzanne Bell about this idea of self-care. And one of those things that's very important for uh, a crew member that is in this confined space for such a long period of time. A lot of what the crew talked about this month are things that I think translate very nicely to this conversation we have coming up. So with no further delay, let's get right to our special guest here. We have Suzanne Bell to talk about the science of behavioral health and performance on Chapia. Here we go. Suzanne Bell, welcome back to Houston. We have a podcast. It's good to connect in person. Yeah, nice to see you, Gary. Yeah, see, last time we talked was remote. We had to do it during COVID, um, but we had this wonderful conversation on the science of teams, uh, and we did it with No Sheer Contractor and Leslie Deterge. It was an awesome conversation. That's right. They're long-term collaborators of mine. Yeah, yeah. So what have you been up to since? Well, uh, we've been doing a lot of work related to team dynamics and otherwise. So currently I lead the Behavioral Health and Performance Lab at NASA Johnson Space Center. Mm -hmm. We look at team dynamic issues, but we also look at anything related to behavioral health and individual and team level performance. Yeah. So instead of just really teams, you can even look at the individual side of things too. So your your work is behavioral health and performance from a variety of different angles. That's right. Very good. So behavioral health and performance, if you had to consolidate that into an idea or a construct? How do you try to characterize what is behavioral health and performance? What exactly are you looking at? Well, that's a good question. It, it means something broadly uh, to most scientists, but, but for us, we tend to target things related to affect or how you're feeling, um, thinking or cognition, as well as behavior. And so in our particular lab, we're focused on spaceflight issues, but that's not only the crew up in space. We also think back to how they interact with their family and friends and social support back home, mm -hmm. as well as how the crew interacts with mission control. Because as you pointed at the beginning with teaming, and this idea of teaming is important, it's not only for the local team or the crew in spaceflight, but they team back with other people on Earth too. Oh, interesting. So is it a holistic approach at 
first? Or are you thinking like, how, how is their work affecting other parts of their lives? What's the, what's the approach that you take in terms of behavioral health and performance? Well, that's a good question. So right now, um, there's behavioral health operations and they do provide things like family support, uh, for the astronauts when they're in space. Uh, just like any job, there's always, um, work-life balance. And when you're up in the ISS, you know, there's that, uh, concern of what's going on with your family and maybe you feel like you want to be there to support them. Um, but that, if you feel like your family's not taken care of, then that can be distracting, you know, where you're doing very difficult work. So the family unit is is supported um, in current operations, but also as we look to things like Mission to Mars or, uh, we, you know, the Artemis moon missions, um, what does that look like and how does that differ as the challenges of spaceflight include things like significant communication delay? Hmm. So a lot of what we focus on in the lab is future-focused, thinking about the Artemis missions and the slingshot around the moon that we have coming up with Artemis II, as well as uh, a long-term presence on the moon, and then Mars-focused, uh, thinking about that day when we'll someday land on Mars and what that will look like for behavioral health and performance. So your your role as lead of the lab is not necessarily like the day-to-day operations of a crew. On, a, on your day-to-day, your, your role, are you re- really consistently thinking ahead and thinking towards some of those future challenges? Yes, that's absolutely right. Mm. So we partner closely with operations okay. because we want what we do to be relevant and ultimately implemented and to support the astronauts that will go on future missions. But at the same time, um, in the ISS, behavioral health and performance is fairly well managed. And so most of what we're looking at is for the challenges of the Artemis missions and the the Mars missions. We do collect some data in the International Space Station right now, um, both as an environment uh, with some of the conditions we'll expect for future spaceflight. But we collect a lot of our data in what are called analog missions, mm-hmm. such as CHIPIA, where we can mimic some of the realities and challenges we expect for future spaceflight in different environments and, and look to see how it affects behavioral health and performance, mm-hmm. as well as uh, pilot test and develop and validate what are called countermeasures or interventions on how to best support those crews of the future. And yeah, there's several different analogs, right? But of course, we're going to be talking about Chapia now. And Chapia, we've, we've been talking about this as part of our audio month, um, audio log monthly check-ins uh, with the crew and with special guests. And one of the questions we ask, and I'm curious to hear yours, is for you, when for the perspective of behavioral health and performance, when did what what happened with the start of Chapia? When were you getting involved? When did you hear about this and and start uh, start being a part of it? Well, I'm a co-investigator on the project, mm-hmm. um, and I've been involved in the project about three years as a co-investigator. Okay. The project uh, you had Dr. Grace Douglas on a previous episode, and I think it was five or six years that the project's been in the making from yes. the the time of the proposal. And uh, my predecessor um, had played a role in that, as well as uh, the current team in in behavioral health. But um, starting about three years ago, I think my first meeting, uh, that's when uh, I became the lab lead, uh, about three years ago, I think my first meeting might have been related to the architectural design and choosing uh, what the habitat would actually look like. And then from that, a series of meetings uh, where we really helped to um, inform and guide the the development of the analog itself and, and being built. It, Chapia is really amazing because 
it's not only all the research that's done, but the engineering team that built it and and uh, us together. And, and really, um, Grace has done a, a fabulous job of bringing in a multiple perspectives at each step of the way to try to make it as Mars habitat realistic as possible. Mm. So we can really mimic these, you know, conditions that are they're like to be very challenging. Fascinating. So you were involved with um, even the habitat and the space and all of that stuff, but let's, thinking less so from an engineer and the square footage and things but more so from from the human aspect. That's from, right. Okay, so like what it, would it take for a human, what would be the ideal layout for a human living on Mars from behavioral health and performance aspect? That's right. And okay. so just, um, not just um, uh, my team's expertise, but uh, other people weighed in on that as well. I Habitability see. experts, um, others to try to, to try to make things consistent with what we might expect for Mars. So in addition to laying the foundation for making this successful, what was going through your head of, ooh, this is a good opportunity for continuing to study behavioral health and performance? Oh, it's an incredible opportunity. Um, One thing we're seeing in our data with shorter analogs um, versus the handful of longer analogs that we've been able to collect data on is that certain factors um, do really have additional challenges when you're talking about long-term isolation. Mm. So we've collected a lot of data in 45-day missions. We have some from 140 and 240-day missions, but CHAPIA is a 378-day mission, which is incredible. And what we're seeing in some of our data, just as an example, um, from our previous analog research is that uh, individuals really vary on their ability to maintain good social support uh, the longer the mission goes. So you might think of something like, um, you know, a seven-day mission. Maybe that's a little vacation to some of us. Like we don't have to check our emails for seven days. And, and maybe that's time away from not having to do our, like, huge laundry list of tasks that we have every day, um, both at home and, um, you know, at work. And and so a shorter analog, you know, it, it might not have those dramatic uh, effects on behavioral health and, and performance like we'll see in these longer analogs sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so really getting um, to, to the long-term look at some of these aspects, as well as how to maintain and sustain uh, human health and performance, but also, um, you know, everything, I guess, related to human health and performance, which is what's great about Chapia. It's that integrated look. Yeah, that's fascinating. You talk about long and short missions. We're coming up on the holidays here, so I'm thinking about exactly what you're thinking, that like a seven-day a seven day long event with the family, right? Yes. You're home for the holidays. You're there with the family. So exciting in the in the beginning. And for some of us, towards the end of that seven days, you're ready to go home. But it's like it's, – it's sort of like that on a very – extended scale. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. And so what's really unique about the space environment is you both live and work together. So Mm. when we talk about things like the challenges of teamwork, um, you know, you are not only uh, people who work together and need to do incredible things, collaborating and working together as a team, but then you're also roommates that never Mm. go away. And (laughs) so, you know, there's that um, likelihood of, you know, spillover uh, for things if they're not going well, like some of the constructs we look at or or concepts we look at are things like group living, consideration of others. You know, we we look at those across our different uh, analog environments to really understand the complications of not only, 
teamwork as we might think about it in our project teams or doing really complicated feats together like extravehicular activities or spacewalks, but also with that interpersonal relationship uh, flavor that comes in mm. with whether or not there's conflict that spills over, whether or not there's um, you know the ability to feel supported as you need it in different ways over time when you're talking about a very taxing environment. What you're talking about is really the challenges of the, the behavioral health and performance challenges of living on Mars. And part of that is is that a, a, Martian, a Mars mission design could have you in a confined environment for this long, for as long as we're seeing a, as, as Chapia, um, you know, more than a year. That This is really some of the challenges. You are working and living with the same people in a small space for a long time. That's right. Mm-hmm. And one of an, a second challenge that I'd like to point out um, that I really like about Chapia is that when we're talking about Mars, just the sheer distance of the planet from Earth at particular um, points in time will create a significant communication delay. And so when we think about the challenges of a Mars mission, right now, if you watch on the International Space Station and you watch something like a spacewalk and extravehicular activity, um, you have the crew talking real time with mission control. And so they'll go back and forth where mission control can provide a lot of expertise um, to the crew in order to, you know, cooperatively problem solve and and figure out how to do very complicated feats together. Um, But if you think about something like Mars, it's a complete paradigm shift. There's real, not real-time support from mission control. It's mm. going to be at sometimes up to a 22-minute communication delay. And so if you need help with something, you send that message. 22 minutes later, they receive it. Problem solved. Send that message back 22 minutes later. I mean, 44 minutes for help, right? So you're talking about a complete paradigm shift where the crew will have to operate in ways that are autonomous, like no other, you know, space crews have basically in history. And so something like Chapia is so critically important because we actually mimic a significant communication delay. What us that helps us understand not only how the crew can connect back to uh, their folks on Earth, you know, whether it's family, friends, or social support, but also uh, how that might look for an interaction with mission control um, Mm. when it's just not there in real time. Okay. And what that does to the crew's behavior as a response to that, right? Maybe maybe it's feelings of isolation. Maybe it's, you know, uh, and that's, is that sort of your, the perspective that you're looking at? What happens to their behavior and performance, I guess? Yes, their behavior, but also performance. I mean, if you think about a crew on Mars launching from Mars, you're asking a crew of four with whatever computer support is available to do something that would normally have a web of hundreds of people behind it, like oh, a launch. Yeah. And so now that's all pushed to a crew who's been in extreme spaceflight conditions for quite some time. So we think about the psychological readiness, you know, the cognitive readiness uh, of being able to do something like landing on Mars, their ability to transition quickly to be able to sustain themselves with only people on a communication delay Mm -hmm. uh, in an extended network. And also, um, you know, as you live there for a prolonged period of time, what that looks like to be separated. uh, It's almost more similar to deployed soldiers where you're separated from family and friends for maybe up to two and a half years instead of um, just a shorter amount of time like we currently do. Through your years of studying these various aspects of behavior, health, and performance and the strains of some of the things that you're considering, what makes a good Martian crew member? What traits do you do you think would be a good to bring to the table to be a successful person in this confined space? Well, it's uh, 
definitely have to be people who can engage in good self-care. So when we're talking about such an extreme environment, in order to be a good team player, you first have to be well yourself, right? And so the challenges of being healthy, uh, maintaining a, a, a exercise regimen for a prolonged length of time, making sure you have proper nutrition and really taking care of yourself both um, mentally and uh, as well as in other aspects uh, of your health. Um, and then someone who can engage in that self-care and then can be a good team player. So you're just going to have to rely on other people on something like a, a mission to Mars, not only to execute these very complicated tasks, but also for social support and to keep conflicts manageable and that whole roommate idea. So someone who has consideration of others. Um, and these are the types of things that, that you know, we consider for future Mars missions. Related to that, uh, things like being able to emotion regulate. So if you think about when you're really tired or have been in an extreme condition yourself or feel deprived uh, over time, you know, that's sometimes when we can lash out at people, right? Mm -hmm. You can even hear yourself getting mad at your spouse or something like that. And it's like, oh, I just didn't get enough sleep last night. Like, did I actually say that? I you haven't know? had my coffee this morning. All the different <laughs> yeah. excuses. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So for me, I need like a latte every morning, right? And right. It's, unless there's <laughs> lattes available on Mars, like right. I don't know that I would be a great Mars roommate. So, but the point is, is like you have to be able to have um, this ability to emotion regulate mm. so that, you know, you're not uh, overly reactive or can manage your emotions when you're under extreme conditions for a prolonged amount of time. Mm. What does the science of Japia look like to you? How do you measure their behavior, health, and performance over time? And how do you measure success? Well, we use a multi-method approach to looking at behavioral health. So um, we do use some things like self-report surveys. So <laughs> if you want to know what I'm thinking, ask. So we ask, right? Sure. And so some we use uh, standardized questionnaires that we give across all our analogs, as well as in spaceflight. Um, this allows us to not only learn from Chapia, but also benchmark across other data that we have. Consistency. Yes, yeah. that's exactly how you do small sample research, right, mm -hmm. is that we always have small sample sizes, so we always try to innovate the way we measure. So self-report is is important so that it's not just constrained to what we've thought ahead of time as being important to mm -hmm. ask for, and that gives us the opportunity to kind of understand uh, the crew's perspective when they're doing something that no one else has ever done before. Um, and then we also collect data through measures uh, of, of behavioral performance and cognitive performance. So we have specially designed tests. Uh, designed by NASA to look at high-performance populations and their cognitive performance. And so we take measures like that um, over time in, in all of our analogs, including CHAPIA, as well as behavioral performance. So yeah. we have um, a common tool that we use uh, is something that's actually used in the International Space Station as a trainer uh, that it, where they train to operate the Canada arm. And so we have a version of that that spits out data for us so we can look at cognitive and um, sensory motor aspects of, of how they're able to do things under different conditions. And these are uh, commonly things that, you know, they've been they've been published uh, by um, our team and other teams uh, prior. And we, we collect them in analogs over time so we get to see now that we're talking about the conditions of Mars, what happens here? You know, now mm. that we're talking about maybe in a different analog, we'll do repeated spacewalks, the tempos that we're expecting for Artemis. And so w whatever we're interested in with the, the particular challenge, we can collect that data and really pick up on what's happening. I just mentioned uh, two other things we collect data on. Three other things um, is things like uh, wearables. So uh, 
you know, we might look at heart rate variability or what their sleeping patterns, um, mm. and they have wearable devices that give us insights. Interesting. So, yeah. so I, th- I heard some excitement in, in your voice when you were talking about this. Which oh, I love le- it which all, leads, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so this leads nicely into this question. Is This is Chapia-specific, right? So you talk about different analogs um, that, that help us to give this insight. When it comes to Chapia, it being a long mission, it being this this integrated study that gives us a real good insight into what a Mars mission would look like from your perspective in behavioral health and performance and studying that specific aspect, what is what do you like to stress that is unique and special about Chapia and the data and insight that it gives you? Well, there are many special things about Chapia, but I would say the th- three things that really matter, um, particularly for behavioral health and performance perspective, um, as well as other areas, is one, the integrated nature of it. Mm. So from the research design to our regular meetings to the way we're going to look at the data, we've had experts in from different areas, whether it be uh, nutrition or behavioral health um, and uh, performance areas. And and so when we can all collect that data together, then we can look at how different things and elements of an expected mission can affect you know, let's say cognitive behavior um, in concert with these other areas. And so to have this beautifully big integrated data set is is really important because from the outset, we've, you know, thought about the way we're sampling these different measures. We've mm-hmm. thought about different research design aspects. And so um, I mentioned Grace earlier has done just a, just a wonderful job really integrating just subject matter expertise that can inform the challenges. That's one thing I like about Chapia. The other thing I like about Chapia is that um, significant communication delay that's very Mars realistic. Yeah. Um, we've had a little bit of that in other analog shorter delays, um, but it's just such a paradigm shift, just an absolute paradigm shift that I think that's, I mean, even what we work on to, to support the crew um, currently it is just so different than all of our other previous research. And I've I've been saying it's a paradigm shift for, you know, probably a little while now. But to experience it, I mean, it's just it's just such a significant challenge that needs addressing. And we are learning so much about that every day. Fascinating. Even every day before we look at the data. So it's 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 really wonderful um platform for that. Um and then the third thing I really like about it is just all the probably the long-term isolation, like we were talking about earlier. So just like that whole 378 days versus, you know, seven days, 45 days. I mean, we're really, really starting to push the boundaries, um, Mm -hmm. but it's needed because that's what we're going to expect for these future missions. And so we absolutely need to do it here on Earth before we just, you know, put a couple people in a space vehicle and (laughs) see what happens. So, you know, this is, it's incredibly important research, you know, especially as we look towards um, exploring Mars Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe someday becoming an interplanetary species. Uh, And so it's just, it's something that has to start here with these types of more extreme analogs. Fascinating. Suzanne Bell, thank you so much for coming on Houston. We have a podcast. Absolutely fascinating to hear your perspective and wishing you all the best. We're coming up on the halfway point. This is awesome. So thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Gary. Welcome to space.
Hey, hope you enjoyed this latest audio log episode on Chapia, and I hope you've been enjoying these conversations with the Chapia crew. If so, I think you'll love the final episode of this season of NASA's Curious Universe. Next week, the Curious Universe team dives into the world of Chapia. Here's a bit more on what you can expect. Hello, Earthlings. This is what Mars airlock sounds like. If I could sum up Chapia in just a couple of words, the words would be almost Mars. People often ask what it smells like. It doesn't actually have a lot of smell, and one of the reasons is that most of the... You hear a constant hum. I like to imagine it as the engine of Mars. Science is an iterative process. You iterate on things, you make small discoveries that build and build, and I think that this study is an example of that. Follow NASA's Curious Universe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For this episode, that's it from audio log number five from Dune Alpha. Thanks for sticking around. It's the fifth audio log in our series. Tune in once a month to check in on the Chapia mission. You can check out nasa.gov for the latest uh, right on the Chapia mission and nasa.gov slash podcast for us as well as Curious Universe and the many other podcasts we have across the agency. If you want to talk to us, we're on the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, X, and Instagram. And you can use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show or ask a question. Just make sure to mention, it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. The Chapia crew recorded their log on November 2nd, 2023, and we had the conversation with Suzanne Bell on November 15th, 2023. Thanks to Will Flato, Dane Turner, Abby Graff, Jane Jennings, and Anna Schneider. Thanks to Grace Douglas and Jennifer Miller for their review of the audio log content. Thanks to Suzanne Bell for taking the time to come on the show. And big thanks to Kelly Haston, Ross Brockwell, Nathan Jones, and Anka Solariu for sharing their experience for this audience on Houston We Have a Podcast. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. That's it for us in 2023. Happy holidays. We'll be back next year.